Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. Um, last part of our series, Take Your Mark, this morning. And um, I, I'm gonna, let me just say this. We're going to go back to the beginning of the series in a way today because I really need our church to catch uh, what ties into our vision, ties into our identity as an atomic church in the body of Christ. Um, but but I, I just want to say, you know, having Wade and Ange come up this morning to do their commit, I cannot express with words how proud I am of our church. I mean, I, I, just, I just don't have the words. And it's often that I find myself not having the words uh, that you guys deserve uh, for how you're letting your progress move you forward, for how you're responding to what the Holy Spirit is doing. There are parts of me that wish you were louder, more excitable, you know, could get whipped up into a frenzy much easier. But, uh, but you know, we see progress in people's lives. And I want to I wanna remind you this morning that always how we preach in this church is about being before it's about doing. Always, always, always. This is, we, we preach a message of the gospel that is about changing our identity, who we see ourselves as so that we are aligned with how God sees us so that then we can do his will. And if we get that out of order, I want you to know, no matter what you hear me say, it will always come in the context of this order. First, we are becoming, and then we get to begin to do things. We get to begin to do what God has prepared for us. So we're going to go back to the basics of the hip-hop scene. For those of you who know uh, DC Talk, nobody, nobody knows them anymore. Never, never mind. Uh, but if you remember, we, we started these conversations three, four weeks ago. Um, and we established that everyone is called to run the race. And not just the race, but many races throughout our lives. We will all run a race every week. In fact, most of us, whether we realize it or not, have to take our mark and run a new race every single day. I find often that I am running several races in one day. Every time I switch people, so if I meet with so-and-so about issue A, and then I meet with such-and-such leader because we're developing a new thought or a new idea or a new ministry, I, have to, I switch to another race. And, and every time I feel like I'm, twi- I'm changing to a different race, and I'm a spectator of your race, and I'm also a participant in my own part in the race. And it gets very, very confusing sometimes, but... If we can all understand some of the basics, everyone who takes their mark, everyone who runs in the race bows the knee when they start. We all come at it from a place of humility. We all have an attitude of gratitude when it comes to running the race. No, no great sprinter ever, ever says, I won all because of my own efforts, because of my own hard work, my own perfection. They always thank their coach. They always thank those who have supported them. They always thank their nation for being behind them. And that's the reality. We never are actually doing this all alone or all on our own. Um, these are trying times for the church, of course. The body of Christ as a whole, and we have a lot of freedom here, specifically in Grand Prairie, Alberta. Where we're at, we have less population density, so a lot of the restrictions and a lot of the safeties, they, they are not going to make a huge difference here. As a result, um, our, our doctors and the professionals that are entrusted with our care in our province allow us to have a little more liberty maybe than, other, than some other places. Um, but we are still limited to what we can do compared with the past, are we not? I mean, it's a different thing. Kids, you're in church, you're coloring. I know sometimes it seems a little boring for you. Other times, Pastor Trav remembers that you're here and tries to include you. And um, the, these, things, these things have changed the way we did things in the past. 
some aspects of church ministry presently are not even in existence anymore. They're just, they're just, they're just not here. There's no nursery because we can't risk kids sharing toys and slobbering on each other. I know they do it anyways, and they're, they're going to do it in our, in our cohort groups that we're allowed to have. And there's kind of all these gray areas, and it, it's hard to make sense. I want you to know that it's been difficult for our leadership as a church to lead through this time. Um, there are wide-ranging opinions on politics and social issues. And so nonetheless, we take the attitude we saw Jesus have, which is... I only say what I hear the Spirit saying. I only do what I see my Father doing. Those are the only things we can stay married to in a season like this. Some of you, because of that, are getting a well-deserved well rest. And all the kids' ministry people said amen. Yeah. Right? Because it's, it's fun and you love it, but it's hard sometimes. Now, the sad part is, is that it's given some people also a great excuse just to quit. And I want to talk about that this morning. The title of today's message is Consumer versus Contributor. Consumer versus Contributor. Now, l just remember that I love you. All right? I love you so much. Would you all do honor to the Word of God today? We're going to stand together, and we're going to read uh, this uh, 10 verses of Scripture from Ephesians chapter 2 together. So come on, join me. Now, this is, this is the fun. We're going to be in time together because we're perfectly unified in the body of Christ. And we're holy and sanctified. And our media team is also holy and sanctified, full of grace for us and we for them. Let's read together. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins... He gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness. Toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Amen. Please grab your seat again. At some point in time, I think we're all going to recognize that the normal will not be here again for a long time. And yet, whenever that is, normal will no longer be as relative as it once was. I don't know if you've thought about that. Some of us definitely long for normal, like we, we want it to go back to normal, but consider this with me. Even when it does go back to normal, 
how relevant will the ordinal normal be to the new reality? You follow? My point simply is that a lot of things are changing. A lot of things are moving on us. Some of the methods are not going to work anymore, and they need to be replaced by new methods. The message won't change. The heart of a church, the vision doesn't have to change, but the methodologies are, good. Methodologies are going to change. Some of the things churches did, let me just say this so you can understand, some of the things many churches did have been dead horses for a long time, and rather than simply continuing to beat that horse, many people are beginning to realize what they should do is dismount. Let me know when you catch up. It is true. I mean, there are, there are churches flogging ministries, hoping that they're going to cover another half mile when the horse is laying down. It's not breathing. The flies are on it. It's done. But here we are, swinging away, hoping to make the mile. Uh, Dr. Frank DiMazio, in one of the intensives I went to, brilliant man of God, great theologian, uh, he, he pointed out to us, if ever you find yourself riding a dead horse, by all means, the first thing you should do is get off. we got to change methodologies with the world we're in. And that doesn't mean we have to change all of our liturgy. It doesn't mean we change all of the ways we do church. It doesn't mean the, we change the way we do, our, do ministry in our own homes. It doesn't, doesn't change the fact that I expect my children to wait for their mother to be seated at the table before they eat. And my kids all said, amen, Dad. There you go. Good for you guys. It doesn't change the liturgy of my home and how we show honor that when we sit down at the table, we remove our hat. You see, those aren't the methodologies that are up for change right now, just so you know. And I don't really have too much of an opinion how, on how you govern those particular methodologies in your own home, save to say that, kids, if you remember to honor your father and mother, not only will your days be long in the earth, but it will go well with you. And what is the point of having long days in the earth if it's not going to go well for you? Just say it. All the kids should say, hey, Matt. Right? I got to tell you something. Hip shooters like me have done really well in this day and age. And I am a hip shooter. I am, that's the kind of leader I am. Now, if I get in my head too much, I become a very procrastinating kind of leader. But really, I'm quite comfortable shooting from the hip. I'm comfortable throwing a key change on the worship team when we never even talked about it, let alone practiced it. They'll figure it out a few measures in, and I'm okay with that, even if they won't forgive me. Um, I like shooting from the hip because it's kind of a target-rich environment these days, right? I mean, if the government says next week we're not going to let you do that anymore, I'm like, no problem. Then our target's going to be over here. I'm the kind of target shooter that's an expert marksman because I shoot, and whatever I hit, I call the bullseye. <laughs> not, not exactly. Not exactly. See, I, for me, I'll just let you know, if you don't know this about me, I'm also really prophetic, and really, I, I am a Joseph dreamer. I dream the future. I dream about what God has planned. I dream about, I, when I close my eyes and I'm by myself, I'm thinking about what God has laid up in store for the good of, for, for us as we love him, as we pursue him with our life, okay? And so um, I, I'm good at pivoting. I'm happy to pivot, uh, even when it's really stressful for me. And as long as it turns out okay in the end, you all are still really happy with our leadership. 
Some of you didn't even know that I was shooting from the hip. That's how good I am at it. Um, once again, I'll wait for you to catch up. Let me know when you're here. <laughs> All right. Um, now, for the long-range planners on our team, Christine, Pastor Amy, well, Tyson, pretty much everybody I've surrounded myself with, <laughs> it's necessary, trust me. You'll learn that as you lead more and more. You surround yourself with people who compensate in you, with you for your weaknesses. We need team, guys. If you, if you think you got anywhere by yourself, go back to the first part of our series and start listening all over again. Please do. Um, but it's been really, really hard for kind of our planners, our long-range planners, our check-the-box people, our systematic thinkers. These times are very difficult for them. And I think that the planning stages we're in right now, we're only beginning to see the new paradigm the church is existing in. I hope that you know that our team, our leaders, our elders, our deacons, all those who are serving in our church have been on high alert every single day since March of 2020. There, there is no rest. Forget about no rest for the wicked. Let me tell you, there is no rest for the righteous in this world either. Now, there's rest in Jesus, of course, and we have a great theological discussion we can have about that. But the reality is, is our team has been on high alert since the beginning of March. When we began to see and realize that things were going to change, that the reaction, whether we agree with it or not, is going to be an issue for us moving forward. Now, some of these people I want to draw a little bit of attention, a little bit of attention to today. First of all, our youth leaders. If you're a youth leader in the room right now, please stand up. Come on. I don't want to get too long, so you got to stand up quick. Now, just take a look around. And th these are some of the ones who are here. You should give them a, a bigger round of applause than that. Come on. Let's practice. Woo! Yes! Why on earth are we cheering for these people? Because these people are crazy enough week after week to let your dirty teenage children come into their homes and sit on their couches and soil their carpets. Well, maybe not soil their carpets, but get Dorito chips on the floor and make a bit of a mess. And you know what? They have no idea what's going to happen next week, but they're in nonetheless. That's the new paradigm of ministry, guys. We can't even have youth ministry in this building. It doesn't work for the district. It doesn't work for the owners of this building. And even if we went out Generations Church and bought our own building next Sunday, there would still be limitations and high risks to whether or not we should invest in something like that, thinking that we can meet when tomorrow the government can change everything on how we're allowed to meet. How about our sound guys, our media team? Would you guys stand up? Our setup crew. Who's on the setup crew? How about all the kids who come and set chairs up every single Sunday morning? Come on. You guys, are, you guys are awesome. Don't stop. You're doing a great and important thing. I can't believe no one is standing for that. Yeah. All right, a couple of mine, a couple of the delegates. Oh, there's some Sutherlands. Oh, there's some deep kids. These guys, let me tell you something. You think you're going to stand before Jesus one day, and you're hoping he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Let me tell you something. This is truth. The children who are serving in this church from the time they're two and three, and, and you say, whoa, whatever, Pastor Trev. I watch two-year-olds push chairs across the floor of this gymnasium to put them away every Sunday. You ain't a saint compared to that two-year-old. And I know it's funny, and it, it's allowed to be funny. 
But didn't Jesus say we all need to become just like them to even enter the kingdom of heaven? What, what is it about a two-year-old pushing a chair? What, what inspires me? What I find so, so awe, awe-inspiring is that little kingdom of a sinful nature, which it really is, we've talked about that before, is still willing to serve. It's still willing to contribute. Oh, and here we go. You knew it was coming. See, we have a lot of people that serve in this church. In fact, I brag to my friends in ministry about it. You know, the Generations Church, we see over 80% of our people who are not just giving in the offering, but like tithing. That's huge. Most churches, it's the exact opposite. They say 20% are tithing, 80% are along for the free ride. Not the case here. That's amazing leadership for sure, right? Or maybe it's that the Holy Spirit meets us here every Sunday, and whether I get it right or wrong, he still sticks a dart in you to help you change. Um, We have a high number of people who are actively serving in our church. Again, pushing up towards 80% of our committed people are actively serving at any given time in this church. And even through the COVID uh, sensation that we're in right now, we are still seeing an incredibly high percentage of people willing to serve. Now, again, some of you are not, and it's a well-deserved rest, and you should take it. But I want to caution you with this this morning. Don't get caught in the trap of an excuse to quit. Because the work is not done. The new methods are just being developed right now, and we need to staff those new methods with wonderful volunteers. So the days of change are right in front of us. The days of new ideologies in ministry are here and we are going to walk in them. You know why? Because we're going to get to this in a moment. But because God prepared us beforehand to do them. All right. Um, what didn't work? And I'm happy we didn't see it anymore. Let me just share with you a few things from our history that drove me nuts. I'm glad we don't see any more ladies literally breastfeeding a baby and stacking chairs at the same time. Some of you have no idea that that happened. That was church. Um, oh, this is, this is another one. Um, the, the mom comes in because maybe dad's gone or he's parking the car, and she's got two toddlers, a baby seat, and a diaper bag. And one of our loving, considerate door greeters then tries to hand them a bulletin or a piece of paper or something else. Just picture this with me so you understand how ironically silly that is. She, she doesn't need you to hand her something else. She needed you to take her diaper bag. Hello. Right? And I'm glad we really don't see that. We, we course corrected and things started to get better. Now here's one. And, and you know, remember that I love you in case you were one of these people. But um, men with muddy boots standing in a way of a child, woman, or other server in the church who are trying to clean the floor. I'm, I haven't seen that for a while. I'm really glad I don't see that anymore in our church. Because it's opposite of the ideology. It's opposite of the heart. It's opposite of the vision we have at a church, which is everybody, everybody plays together, everybody serves together, and everybody gets to grow. We all are in. We all do it. Um, okay, let me give you an example of this, that, that things that bother me about, about consumerism versus uh, being a contributor. 
There is a cultural example that many of you have witnessed because it's in Mennonite cultures, it's in Norwegian, it's in all the Scandinavian cultures. It's basically in almost every farming culture in North America that has ever been here in the last couple hundred years. It's the rule that men always eat first. Who is familiar with this rule? Come on. Some hands. I know what Terry does. I know what Terry does. I know most of us as men have been encouraged to eat first. Now let me explain why this could be an issue for us. Um, methods have to change in light of the times we're in. Now, just so you know, the reason that men used to be the first ones to the table was because back in the day, they had this thing called a work bee, or they had this thing called a barn raising, or they had this thing called a threshing crew, they had this thing called a logging crew, and what would often happen is, is they would, as neighbors, gather together and go to one farm, and as a crew, they would bring the crop in, as a crew, they would clear land, as a crew, they would raise the barn, and what would happen is, is the mom, the daughters, those who weren't necessarily out during, doing the super-duper heavy work, were inside preparing a meal to feed the crew. This allowed the men to come in, eat quickly, and go back out and get the harvest off before the rain or snow fell and ruined the whole harvest. That was the purpose. There was a methodology, and that was the purpose that it went for. But today, let me just say, when you come to Christmas time, and your family is all gathering, and all the men belly up to the trough first, that's a methodology that's no longer necessary. It doesn't honor our women. It doesn't honor the matriarchs of our families. Why? Because that method doesn't fit the time anymore. Guys, when we're sitting there watching, I don't know, at Thanksgiving, watching a football game, and then we simply groan, get up, because we've been snacking the whole time and belly up to the table and eat, and for, eat before anyone else gets a chance, we're no, we're no longer doing the honorable thing. Because when it was honorable, it was an act of service so that the men could get back out and do what needed to be done. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Now, I'm not trying to be critical of your traditions or your practices. Oftentimes, my wife will say to myself and my children, no, you guys just go ahead and eat. I'm just going to finish this thing up there. But I want you to grasp this, that the methodologies have to change with the actuality of what we're doing. And you can apply that little simple truth to almost anything in your life. The way you used to do it might not be the thing you should be married to. The way you need to do it now needs to allow things in the now to happen at a speed that's going to affect everyone around you positively. I don't get to be a hip-shooting leader forever. There is a time, a space, a season in life where a church needs a pastor and a leader to shoot from the hip. But there's also a season under heaven where we have to dream long, think long, and live long into the future about what God is doing. Wade and Ange, if I can use you guys as an example. There was a time or two they wanted to quit, they wanted to leave, and in that season of life, my job wasn't to shoot from the hip, but it was to sit down and encourage with great dreams and great futures and great potential and great possibilities for what God could do if we just hold on a little longer. The methods have to change for the season we're in. Otherwise, we become very close or very in danger of becoming a consumer only. You see, as we belly up to that table and eat in front of everyone else, we're not contributing at that point. The contribution of the men in those days was to log, to farm, 
thrash build. You see, if we love people, we don't do things that fail to show them love. In other words, if we love people, we don't simply take from them. How does that work in a marriage? It doesn't work in a marriage. If the man simply gets to take, but never lays his life down. And if the woman cannot submit because of thoughts or ideologies or damages done in the past, there's, there's not a healthy reciprocation that can even begin to take place. We are called to lay down our lives for our friend. You see, if we love people, we will lay down that moment of our life for them. How many deaths to my old nature is enough for the God and the people I love and am called to? How many deaths are enough? It's like when the disciples ask Jesus, well, how many times do I have to forgive? How many times should I lay down my life for this church? How many times should I lay down my life for my children? How many times should I lay down my life for my wife? The answer to that question is all the times. Oh, God bless someone who got that. <laughs> the answer to the question is all the times. Not 490, but all the times. Well, that seems impossible. Well, as you mature, I want to tell you something wonderful that happens. You become a bit of an expert at knowing which moment is the most important to lay your life down in. But you will never reach expert level at a, as a life layer downer if you don't practice at some point. Well, I just don't want to overcommit, Pastor. We're not asking you to overcommit. We value your family at least as highly as you do, I promise you. We won't ask you to overcommit, but we will ask you to grow. We will cheer that on in your life. And can you trust that we want to protect your heart from burnout? We want to protect your heart from becoming tired, from becoming overworked, from becoming underappreciated. We want to protect you from those things because greater love has no man than he who lays his life down for a friend. John 15, 9 through 11, let's read this. Uh, you can read along with me if you'd like. It says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. This is Jesus speaking. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, so that my joy may be in you, and then that your joy may be made complete. My command is this. You ready? Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay one's life down for one's friend. You are my friends if you do what I command. Jesus asks us to do something so simple it's almost impossible. It's inconceivable for us. But does it not sum up all the law and prophets? Another place Jesus summed it up by saying, hey, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second greatest law is love your neighbor as yourself. 
You see, we are called by Jesus, if we are his friend, if we are his disciple, if we are truly following him, to simply do this. Love in a way that causes us to lay our life down for the moments of the people around us. For the moments of desperation around us. For the moments of opportunity around us. For the moments of becoming the floor for someone else to launch from. That is what we are called to as people who are maturing in this relationship and on this journey. We are little more than a launch pad for someone else's greatness. Maybe that's why now you can understand that the greatest in God's kingdom needs to learn to be the servant of everyone else around them. Now I know that doesn't seem fun, but this process of laying life down will actually mature you. And if you allow yourself to be coached by people who know better, you will begin to learn the secret ninja ways of not burning out by laying your life down. But you'll never learn if you don't start. I want to give you, oh, I'm going to skip a chunk, but I want to give you this. Um, Here's a list of 10 differences between consumers and contributors that I see in the world around me. This is like almost a Letterman Top 10, but not quite as cool. Some of you have no idea what Letterman Top 10 is. Never mind. You're too young. You, you poor, what are after millennials again? Is there any, is there any? I don't know. I can't keep track. Post-millennials, whatever, whatever. We love you all. It's all good. Uh, okay, top, top 10 differences between consumers and contributors, according to Pastor Trav, as he sees it in church, family, life around him. Uh, number one, consumers can't or won't lay their lives down. By comparison, contributors lay down their lives in the appropriate moments, and as they mature, they become experts at knowing which moments are most important. Two, consumers graze wherever the next greener, greener blade of grass leads them. Just like cows. Contributors show up to help build the fence even if it means just holding the tools. Three, consumers observe and enjoy community, and that is good. But contributors bring people into community, and their joy is greater. Say, Pastor Trav, how do you know that? Guys, I've been, I've been preaching since I was 19 years old. I've been pastoring people since I was 19. I can tell you with every fiber in my being that consumers everywhere are observing and enjoying community. And that's a great place to start. But contributors bring people into that community. And contributors have a greater joy. Number four. Consumers watch the service online and then do what they want. This is for you online people this morning, especially, of course. Contributors watch service online and find a way to expand the influence of the body of Christ. See, you can be at home today. You can be missing church because of how you feel about COVID or how you feel about restrictions on gatherings. That's totally fine. You can be there, but the question I'm concerned with is are you simply consuming or are you actually trying to figure out how to contribute something? Five, consumers sing along and follow in prayer. And that's, a good, it, that's good too. 
But contributors sing a new song, and they make their life about intercession. Now, I'd love, since we're at the halfway point, let me give you a little infusion of hope and encouragement here. Not one of us is perfect in this list of ten things that may or may not be conclusive. But the reality is if you let the Holy Spirit prod you this morning, I'm convinced that he will begin to put a finger on some things in each one of our lives that we are far too on the side of consumerism and nowhere near enough of a contributor to the kingdom of God. Six, consumers are often hearers of the word, but contributors are the effectual doers of what they heard. James chapter 4, if you want to refresh yourself. Number seven, consumers show up and take a selfie. And contributors actually show up to work. I don't know if you've seen this in your social feed, but there's a lot of things going on in North America, of course. And I think the thing, I, I don't like the term, you should be outraged. Outrage has never solved anything, so stop saying it, please. Um, stop believing that's a good uh, vision, ideology, whatever. Just stop. It's not, it's not good to be outraged. You are not thinking clearly when you are beyond raged, okay? Um, but it does drive me nuts to see people posing for a selfie. Literally, I saw one gal. She came and she, she took the drill from a guy who was boarding up some windows, and she posed for a selfie with the drill, handed it back to the guy, and got in the car and drove away. That is the epitome of hypocrisy. That's the kind of stuff Jesus called the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the hypocrites, out for when he said things like, you know, you put heavy burdens on people's shoulders, but you yourself are doing nothing to help carry that burden. That's the definition of hypocrisy according to Jesus. And I see that in our world. So if you've done that, please ask for forgiveness. Because I don't think any of us want to be that kind of a consumer. Uh, number eight, consumers smile at their pastor and leaders. Thank you for smiling at us. We do, we do appreciate your smiles. They're encouraging, wonderful. They make us feel warm and fuzzy. But contributors put their hands to the work with their pastors and leaders. That's, that's, that's what contributors do. They put their hand to the work with the pastors, with the leaders. They... They put their hand to the work. I'm just going to let that one sink in. Number nine. Consumers say thanks. And contributors are simple, simply thankful for the opportunity to serve. Just Can I ask you the question? When was the last time you served at church, or in anything for that matter, and walked away from it going, thank God. God for that opportunity to serve. Might, this might be the hard one for each one of us. Because I know there are times when I serve, and I honestly, let me just be real transparent with you here. I walk away and go, God, what's wrong? Is it me or is it the people? <laughs> I'm glad that makes you laugh. <laughs> I was worried that would come across too harsh. If I can just be transparent with you, and I know we're getting a little long, but Guys, it, not every day do I love you like I wish I loved you. I'll be really transparent. 
not every day do I love my wife as much as I wish I loved my wife. And the truth is, is you're just like me. And guys, that's okay. We just need to understand something about this. That's the difference between someone who is simply consuming but so, and someone who actually is going to begin to contribute. Someone who's actually going to make a difference as opposed to someone who could point out a difference. Did you know that pointing out of differences is not a spiritual gift to the body of Christ? <laughs> I've, I've witnessed people try to claim that that is. Well, I have a gift of finding problems. Well, go use your gift somewhere else. I hear Grand Prix Alliance Church is looking for people. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Oh, I hope they don't ever. Oh, man, I have friends who go there. What a beautiful part of the body of Christ Grand Prix Alliance Church is. Working with us here in the city. Oh, I love that. I do, I do love those guys. You know, they're doing a great work over there. They are. They're impacting the lives of people. They are running opportunities, courses. They, I mean, they are changing the world one person at a time, just like we are. But it is really fun to throw a little jab like that once in a while. Um, and I'm kind of insignificant, so the likelihood of them hearing about it is pretty low. So let's just keep it that way, all right? You guys just shh about it all. We'll just, it's just our thing inside the gym here. All right, anyways. All right, um, l- let me finish up this list and, and wrap this thing up for us today. Ten, consumers give and contributors give more. They give out of a conversation with the Holy Spirit. And they give in great joy. It occurred to me that as I was preparing the message, this message over the past couple of months, thinking about this for a long time, that there are those of us, and by those of us I mean you because I don't have a lot of money, and God has not appeared to entrust me with great wealth, independent wealth or anything like that. But there is a temptation for people to say things like, well, I'm a contributor because I tithe. Can I just point out to you that everybody tithes? So that's not really an above or beyond kind of a thing. And and if we're on the subject, which did Jesus think was better, the widow's might or the great gifts of the wealthy? Well, the one who gave all she had was far more valuable as he asserted his opinion in the temple that day. And so here's what I want to say. Tithing as a principle gives a lot of people a sense of righteousness. And I want you to know, it is right to be a giver. It's right to tithe. But giving is a gift that comes from a place of submission and obedience to the Holy Spirit. And God significantly blesses the gift of giving, the gift of a generous heart, in a a dramatically different way. And so if your primary gift in life is giving, I just want to take this moment to subject this to your thoughtful consideration that we have way more vision than money in this church. And if you want to get behind something brilliant, we only need millions of dollars (laughs) to see the vision that God has begun to put on our hearts accomplished. We need a house of refuge. We need, we need to buy a place so that we can help broken homes have a place to be while we work with getting them healed. That's just one little piece. 
All right. So anyways, if you're a giver, if you believe that's God's gift in your life, let's talk about it. Um, please don't say, hey, I want to book a meeting to talk about giving because I bought a lottery ticket this week. I just want to say it's highly unlikely that uh, we will be able to do anything by next Sunday with your lottery ticket. But if you win, praise Jesus. <laughs> all right. That's all I'm going to say. Let me bring this thing home for you today, guys. Hebrews 12, 25 to 29. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns from heaven? At, the, at that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. As I close today, I wanted to close on this to make sure that we had an understanding of the world around us. The kingdom of heaven is among us, and our job as the body of Christ is continually to tie this world to the presence, to the kingdom of heaven. The presence of God manifested in the gatherings of believers is vitally needed in our world today. And that kingdom, no matter what it looks like from the secular point of view, from the carnal, from the temporal point of view, that kingdom, the Bible assures us, cannot, it will not be shaken. And because of that, God calls us to be thankful and worship with great acceptability, with reverence and with awe for who he is and what he's done. And if I can just put my own words on verse 29, it says, for God is a consuming fire. I want to say it this way. We should worship with reverence and awe because God wants to consume every part of your world. Every part of your life, every part of your marriage, every part of your finances. This is what God is after. This is what God is doing in the world around us. Is He is trying to bring us into the realization that He loved us so much He gave His one, His only, His begotten Son for our sin. You see, it all folds back into the gospel. Every single time. Every single place. And since we then have, for those of you who follow Jesus, since we have a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and it's shaking so that what around us is shaking, is shaking because God wants to move it anyways, I would invite you this week, today, and throughout the week to ask our friend the Holy Spirit, so what are you going to put your finger on? What are you going to speak to me about? What needs to move in my life? What am I trying to stabilize, God, that you're trying to shake loose for me? See, today can be your day to take your mark, to recognize that you've got to bow the knee, that you've got to put your feet in the blocks, that you've got to put your fingers up to the edge of the line because the greatest race God is putting before you is about to start right now. And I know it seems insignificant that we're going to invite you to fellowship today, to go out for lunch, to have someone into your home. But please understand, these are the beginnings of the great moves of God. Putting your feet in the blocks every day is the starting point for God to blow your expectations away with what he can do. 
Guys, God wants every part of us. He wants all of my life. He wants all of your life. He wants all of your marriage. He wants all of your kids. He wants all of your household. It all belongs to him. Can we just pray in this moment right now, like we always do, and say, Holy Spirit, what is it you're saying to me today? I understand that as a topical sort of message, there's a lot in here. I threw a lot of thoughts at you today. But I believe that the Holy Spirit places variety in the church to speak to the different complexities and needs that are in the church. So would you just bow your head with me, and let's just take 30 seconds right now, this simple act of faith, this action of prayer. Say, Holy Spirit, would you speak to me right now? Would you point out to me what it is you're saying to me today through this message? Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.